I don't know if you realize one of the blessings that you have here that many congregations don't, including mine back home, is that you just have this stunning selection of beautiful music being played for you every Sunday. Just, um, you all sing well together, too. <laughs> but yeah, just to have a great pianist and a grand piano and everything, you, you're already light years ahead of many congregations. And I was sitting there this morning just listening to it going, yeah, I miss this when I'm at other places. So thanks a lot. Now, this sermon topic today was actually a, a request from one of you. I don't know which one of you, but Jill passed it along to me. Every month she writes me and asks me for, you know, the title of the sermon and every quarter it's can you speak for the next quarter. And she passed this along as a suggestion. Could I speak on atheism and agnosticism, not from what it isn't, but from the positive aspects of what it brings to your life? And I didn't have to really think about that at all. I said, yeah, that's a great idea. And I immediately came up with the title Positively Atheistic. And I'd never actually done a talk like this before. Now, to understand where I'm coming from, you know, I left fundamentalist Christianity many years ago and swore I'd never go to church again. And the only reason I started attending a Unitarian Universalist congregation was I could still be an atheist, because at that point I was, and there was no requirement to believe in God. In fact, you were welcome if you were an atheist or an agnostic, but that didn't mean everyone was. It just meant we accept the fact that we view these things differently, and that's okay. Now, that notion blew me away, but it also grabbed me. It's like, here's a religious community I can be in and still be me. And I don't have to change to conform to a, you know, a statement of faith or a creed or something. And that, that's why I've done what I've done for the last 10 years. So to talk about the positive aspects of being an atheist uh, in a church is pretty unique anyway, if you really think about it, especially in the South. But you do have to define your terms first. And, you know... Atheism in and of itself is argued about as to what it actually means. To some people, being an atheist means, I know there is no God. To others, it is, I don't believe in God, and I don't live my life as though there were a God, but, you know, I can't know with absolute certainty there isn't a God. And people usually, if they're coming from a more conservative background, think the first definition is what an atheist is. It's someone who, who goes around saying, I got it all figured out, there is no God, I know there is no God. But that's really a, probably a very small percentage of people who actually call themselves atheists. Mostly, it's just, I don't see evidence for a God. I don't buy into the current religious definitions of God. Sure, there might be a God out there, but God would be beyond my understanding, beyond anyone's understanding. And it's really just not very applicable to what's going on in my daily life because God probably isn't that interested, uh, has a lot better things to do than you know, intervene in each of our lives individually. The term itself, atheist, comes from the notion of a theistic God. <laughs> 
And this is one of the reasons why you can still believe in God and be an atheist. If you are an atheist, you don't believe in a theistic God. That's what the word means, atheist. And a theistic God is a God who, first of all, exists outside of this universe, outside of time and space, and secondly, intervenes in our lives, is a personality, a God with personality, who also is interested in what's going on here and intervenes, not just watches, but actually interacts and intervenes. So an atheist doesn't believe in that kind of God. Another kind of God is a deistic God. Deism was very popular, especially at the time of the founding of our country, where people could say, I believe in God, but, it, but that God created everything and then just sort of stepped back and didn't intervene anymore. Uh, oftentimes the notion of a watchmaker or a clockmaker is used. You know, you build the clock, you wind it up, you set it there, and then you just go away, and it runs. And so the universe was viewed as this cosmic clock created by a God who at this point is not involved. So it explains how we got here, but praying to such a God's pointless because God's off doing something else now, but it does explain how we got here. And so you could be an atheist and still believe in a deistic type of God, technically. Now, nowadays, that's really not the case. Mostly, if you say you're an atheist, all the notions of God are pretty much off the table. And you sort of shrug and say, sure, there might be a God, but I need to see the evidence. And then there's this thing of why am I being defined by what I don't believe in? As an atheist, you know, that's not who I am. But in a society where so many people believe in God, that becomes almost a defining criteria. You know, I don't believe in Santa Claus. Shocking, I know. But I don't call myself an a-Santaist. <laughs> and my worth and value as a human being isn't defined by whether or not I have that belief. I don't believe in Bigfoot. As a kid growing up, I thought Bigfoot was cool. And I thought, there's got to be a Bigfoot. Look at all these photos and everything. Nowadays, I'm a little more skeptical. But even though I don't believe in Bigfoot, I still allow there might, there might be one. The odds are getting smaller and smaller as time passes, but who knows? And if one day I wake up and they've captured a Bigfoot, it's not like I'm going to say, oh, my life is shattered because I didn't believe in Bigfoot. Same thing with God, really. Um, it's not like my whole life is pinned on the notion that there isn't a God. I don't see the evidence. I don't live my life as though there is. But given proper evidence, I'm open to it. And so are most atheists. Agnostics, on the other hand, again, most people think they know what an agnostic is, but there's a couple different ways of looking at it. First of all, an agnostic is someone who is undecided. I don't know if there's a God or not. Uh, but there is another type of agnostic, and that agnostic says, you can't know if God exists or not. It's impossible for you with your puny human brain to actually understand these concepts of a God so vastly superior, so you will never know. So you have that type of an agnostic also. It's not just undecided, but rather I've taken a principal stand that you just can't know this. And that's not a whole lot different than an atheist, really. 
But that's what the atheist and agnostic definitions are. And of course, they are definitions based on a negative. I don't believe in this thing or you can't know this thing. But let's try to look at some more positive things. And again, I'm going to tell the story from my life perspective. And my life perspective includes being in conservative Christianity, and that's the God most people use when they say, do you believe in God? Now, you could be an atheist living somewhere else under a different set of gods or goddesses, a different theological structure, and that life experience would be totally different. So I can only tell you the positive aspects of being an atheist from my life. And it's going to be different for different people. And some people may not have a positive aspect. I, I grant and understand all that. So, that being said, how does being an atheist lead, in my case at least, to a happy, fulfilling life? What is positive about not believing in God? And if you'll just allow me to share some life stories, maybe some of this will resonate with you also. Much of my life was not only spent within conservative Christianity, but I was completely sold out and bought into this theological system. Uh, it affected my life in deep and meaningful ways for many years. In high school, and I kid you not, in high school, when people said, you know, what do you want to do when you get out of high school? Mine was, I'm going to Bible college and I'm going to be a missionary. And that was 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade. I was very serious about my faith. And I did indeed go to a Bible college. Uh, Miami Christian College for the first year, then Clearwater Christian College, both in Florida for the last three. Uh, the only thing that really changed was I decided I would be an English teacher in a Christian school uh, because I love literature and I figured I could at least do something that tied into that joy and still serve God. I taught in a Christian high school for four years after graduating, literally living below the poverty line all four years. They don't pay well in Christian schools. And during all that time, we attended church regularly, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, because that's what you did. I studied the Bible. I went to churches where you carried your Bible with you and you studied the Bible in your sermons. That's what Sunday morning, Sunday night was, Bible study. So I took it all very seriously. But it was, and I've shared this in a different sermon, my study of the Bible that ultimately led me away from the faith. And I stopped being a Christian. I stopped believing. Now, there was a point in my life where I would have told you with a straight face, and indeed did, because this is one of the questions we discussed in freshman college, at Bible college, what would you do if you were suddenly proven by someone that God didn't exist? What would your life be like? How would you carry on? And I was pretty seriously thought there'd be no reason to live at that point, and I'd probably kill myself. That's how sold out I was into this notion that God controlled all aspects that surrounded me and there was a perfect plan for my life. And if all of this was a lie, why go on? And at the ripe old age of 19, I seemed to believe that. Obviously, when I finally left the faith, I no longer felt that way. 
But would I turn to a life of debauchery and self-satisfaction and anger against God as I had been warned time and time again within the Christian school and churches where I went? Because everyone believed that. You left the faith for one reason only. You were just going to indulge in sin. Whatever that sin was, you were going to dive deep. Because otherwise, why would you leave the faith? It was impossible to believe that people could leave the faith for honest intellectual reasons. It was always sin. It was always sin. And yet there I was. I had left the faith. And I didn't suddenly change my lifestyle. 20 years after having left the faith, I'm still living a life that most Christians would envy. Uh, in fact, I dare say there are people in my family who wonder why my life hasn't fallen apart yet, because I've turned against God, and the people who haven't turned against God still have all these problems going on. And my life seems to be pretty happy. It's got to be maddening, and I mean that seriously. Why hasn't God done more to Doug to bring him back to the faith? Because that's sort of how we viewed things as working. If someone left the faith, God would send torment after torment and punishment to make them come back. And that just didn't happen. I've never turned to drugs, alcohol, or tobacco in my life. I've never been drunk or stoned. I've never been arrested or appeared in court. I have good relationships with my family. My wife and I have been married for many years. We have great relationships with our three kids. And none of them ever gotten in any trouble either. This is hardly the picture of the sin-obsessed monster that I must have been to leave the faith. What it is, is a picture of someone who's found life to be wonderful, even without God. So what are some of these good things about being an atheist? And why has it been a positive experience? And I will share, before I give you these, that there are still people, at least at my church, that just can't handle me saying I'm an atheist. And I've shared this before. <laughs> and even when I share it, the same two people will come up and say it to me yet again. It's almost a running joke at this point. Uh, one will say, it's illogical not to believe in God. And the other one will say, you're not an atheist, you're an agnostic. You can't be an atheist, you're just an agnostic. And they get wrapped up in the words. Uh, whereas the two are really pretty much the same thing. But here are the good things. First of all, this may sound a little odd, but I think it's probably the best of the good things. I can now acknowledge that I am just a part of the animal kingdom because I was taught that we're this separate thing far above the animals, and the animals are just basically there for us to use. Whether you use them for work or food or sacrifice to God, they're just sort of raw materials with legs and wings and not a life form deserving of the same respect we give to people. Absolutely not. They don't have souls. They're just here because God put them here for us to use. And if you didn't buy into that, all you had to do was look at the Old Testament where there's this extensive set of laws that God allegedly gives for all these different types of animal sacrifices. Well, clearly animals aren't important because God's saying to kill them to appease him. So you just don't put them on the same plane. 
Well, now that I don't worship this God, and I understand not all gods and not all religions teach the same thing. So again, personal experience. I view animals differently. The abuse that we visit upon animals is horrific. And it is probably the single biggest blind spot in all of us today. Uh, and there will come a time, and I've said this many times, where we look back on our treatment of animals with the same disgust and disbelief that we now look back on the institution of slavery or the mistreatment of women and all the other horrible things we've done to other people, at one point, we're going to wake up, I hope, and say, why did we think it was okay to do that to animals? Why did we think that? How stupid we were. We're not there yet. But I wouldn't have got there believing in the God I worshipped. Number two, I don't have to try to figure out God's plan for my life. We were sure that God had a perfect plan for us in all aspects of our lives, but we had to be attuned to it, open to it, seeking it, and trying to discern what that will was. But this was very maddening because God never spoke to me as desperately as I wanted to know things, just wanted to know what he wanted me to do. I wasn't getting answers. So you fall back on what one of my Bible teachers called sanctified common sense which is really just common sense. You look at the situation, you look at what's available, and you do the best you can. But when you're faced with major life decisions like, where should I go to college? Or who should I marry? Or should I get married? What should I do with my life? God was silent to me. And if things went badly in life, it's your fault. You weren't listening. You went down a wrong path. You weren't attuned to seeking God's will. It was almost Kafka-esque. No matter what I did, I couldn't quite figure it out. I hope I was doing the right thing, but I never knew. Now that I don't have to worry about finding this perfect plan, I am just trying to use common sense. I do what I think is the best thing I can do in a situation. If I mess up, I try to fix it, apologize, make restitution, whatever I can do, but... I don't have to try to figure out what God wanted me to do that I missed. I don't have to try to figure out what sin I committed that led me down the wrong path. I take life as it comes to me. And when things don't go well, I just shrug. Sometimes bad things just happen. It doesn't have to have a reason. And that's life. And you move on. You do the best you can. Now, if you think that I'm exaggerating about this notion of trying to figure out what sins cause these horrible things to happen, all you have to do is look at the religious leaders. Every time a hurricane hits somewhere, there's at least one that pronounces, well, that city was wiped out because they're too pro-LGBT people or something, or they have too much drug use, or whatever, they're too democratic instead of republic. Whatever it is, God is punishing them. It is healthier not to seek blame, either for yourself or for others. Try to figure out why something bad happened. And now that I don't have this religious structure in my head that causes me to want to do that, I'm much happier. I can just let things be. Things happen. We do the best we can when they happen. 
Number three, I am free to think and question. Now, the churches I was in always said it was really good to think and to ask questions so you could learn what the Bible was really teaching. But I also discerned that this, this was a very limited thing. Because if you kept asking questions and the questions kept getting harder and harder, they didn't like that anymore. You could ask a few simple questions. They, they had those rehearsed pat answers. But if you kept pushing, then it was, well, you have to take it on faith. Whatever it might be, you, you sort of need to stop asking questions at this point. Just trust God. Well, when I went to a Unitarian Universalist congregation, I was told that you can ask questions and we really mean it. You can keep asking questions. You can ask really hard questions. And you're going to find out that people don't agree on the answers. And that's part of what it is to be in this community. You don't have to agree, but you can examine these really hard questions and no one's going to shut you down and say, well, you just have to have faith. Now that was super appealing to me at that point in my life. Here's a place I can go and not check my brain at the door. I don't have to let other people tell me the truth. I don't have to let other people speak for God. I'm allowed to ask these really hard questions. I don't know... I know some of you have gone through this, but for some of you, it's going to be really hard to imagine the joy I felt in a church where I could do that, because that had not been the case ever, and I figured I would never go to a church again. And yet there's this crazy little Unitarian Universalist church in Tullahoma that says, oh yeah, you can ask these hard questions, that's fine. It's not like we're going to go home and lose sleep because you don't understand the meaning of life. That's what we do. We wrestle with these things. And I went, wow, this is amazing. And that's why I can be an atheist, ask all these really hard questions, and still find myself in church and be happy. And for me, those hard questions are part of the joy of living. I love examining things hard and you know, digging deep. And not just taking what other people tell me. I really want to see if it holds up under scrutiny. That's part of the joy of my life in living. And I can do that in this setting. And I can do that as an atheist. Now, people who believe in God can do that too. Again, I understand that. But people who believed in the God I believed in and went to the churches I went to could not. So it's a big deal for me. Along with this, and this is equally important, I can allow other people to believe different things. Because as a Christian, a conservative Christian, you had to go out and make disciples. You had to go out and convert people, because otherwise they're going to hell. So they, they couldn't believe those other things, because their eternal soul was hanging in the balance. And so there's this insane pressure on you Every moment you're having a dialogue with someone and talking, you're always looking for ways to insert the gospel because they've got to get saved, and that's on you. Their eternal fate may hang on whether you share the gospel at a certain point or not. Now imagine the kind of pressure if you haven't lived that life. I know some of you have, but if you haven't lived a life where every Sunday you're being told that you have to go out and save souls and if you're not doing your best, people might go to hell for all eternity because you were slacking. 
That is devastating. It really is. Talk about guilt. And you just live this horrible, oppressed life. Like, I can't just be friends with someone who's an unbeliever and just have a good time and be friends with them. I've always got to look for this chance to convert them, to give them the gospel one more time. And I'll tell you what, when I was in high school, I'm amazed I had any friends. <laughs> Because I had friends who weren't saved, and they put up with me. That's pretty amazing. They're far better people than I was, looking back on it. I just do not get it. But I don't have to do that anymore. And I don't feel pressured to convert anyone to Unitarian Universalism. Um, you don't come here every Sunday and get told, you have to go out and save souls. Um yeah, we would love for people to come here. We would love for people to be open-minded and freed from oppressive religions. But their eternal destiny doesn't rest on what you do, and that is liberating. And it's liberating to be able to have friends who don't see eye-to-eye -eye with you on even major issues. You can still be friends with people. That wasn't the case for me growing up. And the Bible told us, you know, don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. You couldn't get married to an unbeliever. You couldn't be business partners with an unbeliever. You weren't supposed to be really good friends with unbelievers. They'll drag you down. And all that was shattered for me. And I could look at life totally differently. And I can be friends with people who believe in God. It doesn't irritate me. It doesn't bother me. I meet with ministers on a regular basis and have lunch with them. They all believe in God. They know I don't. And it's fine. We're good friends. We help each other through the hard times. So some people think atheists just hate people who believe in God. That's not true at all. Not true at all. So finally, my fifth point, and there could be more, but this one's also a big one, especially in this day and age, I don't have to expect people to conform to divine standards of sexuality, gender, or race. See, the Bible was used and still is used to attack LGBT people. And they love this phrase, well, you know, we don't hate the person, we just hate the sin. Of course, if you're gay, that's who you are. So you are hating the person when you tell them it's wrong to be gay. But... I don't know how many times I heard that nonsense statement. And I bought into it. You know, the Bible had these very clear standards you had to live up to. And, you know, we just figured all these people could be converted. And, you know, they'd go, as soon as you accepted Jesus into your life, you'd be straight again. Because that's how it worked. You were just living a life of rebellion. And I'm embarrassed to admit I lived in a life where that was taught, but I did. And one of the things that was sort of a tipping point in many things when I left the faith was, you know, I, I had three kids growing up. They're still pretty young, but I had to say, you know, what would I do if one of my kids grew up and was gay? Would I still love them? Would it be important or would it no longer matter to me? And I realized this is just stupid, just moronic to, to think that the God of the universe cares if a man loves a man or a woman loves a woman, 
or a man is trapped in a woman's body or vice versa. And the people wrestle with all these different issues. And to think that God would condemn people for that is such utter rubbish. There, I'm speaking for God, right? Well, <laughs> it certainly seems to me that it would be utter rubbish. People are people, period. Their sexual orientation, their gender identification, race, religious beliefs do not make them better or worse in God's eyes. And amazingly, even in the 1970s, I heard people saying that there was a curse on the black race going back to the story of Noah and his sons and God put a curse on Ham, or actually Ham's son, Canaan, and that was dark skin. Can you believe in 1970s, people were still saying that and quoting the Bible to defend it? Well, I saw it. Not a lot. Not a lot, but there were still people who were teaching that. And with the elimination of divine scriptures, I didn't have to buy into any of that. And at this point... If someone says they're speaking for God, I just say, no, you're just giving me your opinion. And I can take it or leave it for any value that might be there. But I no longer have to have all these black and white standards whereby I'm put into this corner that I have to condemn people for who they are. And that is liberating. So that's the end of my itemized list. Becoming an atheist truly was the most liberating thing that happened in my life. The guilt was gone. I didn't have to spend every moment of my life looking for ways to share the gospel with others. I could just have friends and be friends. I did not have to judge others who were unbelievers or others who had different sexual orientations or different skin color. Didn't have to do any of that. I did not have to worship a God who was going to torture people for all eternity. And I know that not everyone who believes in God believed in any of those things. This is my personal story. Plenty of people believe in God and don't have all those hang-ups. But that was my life, and I'm speaking from my experience. And so, I do hope, at this point, even though I don't need to convert anyone, don't need to bring anyone to the light or show them the way, I do hope that I can help others who need help, who wish to be freed from the shackles of an oppressive religion such as I was in. I do hope I can help them, but only if they want help. They don't need to insist on helping anyone. If they want help, I am delighted to help. But if they don't want help, I'm delighted to stay out of it and mind my own business. So this is been a talk about the positive aspects of being an atheist, and I'll close with this. Having left behind an oppressive God, what I could do now was explore the vast wealth of human experience. New ideas were no longer satanic or unbiblical. And believe me, everything was satanic if it wasn't biblical. It was either or. There was no neutral. I could see what other religions and philosophies had to offer. I could enjoy this life rather than just wanting it to end so I could get on with the really good life in heaven and get through all this misery here, this testing ground, if you will, and get on with eternity with God. 
I could make friends and just be friends. And weirdly, as an atheist, I found I could even become a minister. Just staggered. Never in a million years would I have anticipated that's what would have happened in my life. And having lived both a devoutly fundamentalist Christian life with an unshakable belief in God, as well as now a thoroughly and devoutly atheistic life, I can honestly say without reservation that my life has been infinitely happier and more fulfilling without that particular God in my life. So, there it is. Sermons on request. If you've got one for Jill, pass it along. You never know. You might actually hear it. Thanks for coming.